And here we are, episode two of Jerome's Gibberish, the podcast, at least on this platform known as Anchor, where I will be doing all of my future podcasts because it's just so convenient. All you need is your phone and something to record with. It can't get much more simpler than that. Now let's get right into it. This has been a long layoff. I'm talking about a year, maybe two, since I did my first episode on this thing. And podcasting is something I always wanted to get back into. I took my foot off the gas for a while, I'm now I'm back into it. So here we are officially with episode number two of Jerome's Gibberish here on Anchor. Now for the next 30 or so minutes, give or take, I'm going to talk about basically whatever comes to mind. But there's something I have to get off my chest right now to draw the line in the sand and everybody knows where I stand on this issue because it's something I think not enough people have addressed and yes it might be controversial I don't care I'm starting this thing off with a bang Miracle Whip is disgusting there I said it Miracle Whip to me is the margarine of the mayonnaise world there's people out there still using margarine instead of butter and there's people out there still using Miracle Whip instead of mayonnaise. What are you doing? If you're going to use it, use the real thing. Use butter, not margarine. And use mayonnaise, not Miracle Whip. Now there might be Miracle Whip apologists out there saying, Well, Jerome, I think it tastes better than mayonnaise. Well, I'm telling you, you're wrong. Because it doesn't. Miracle Whip is an abomination in a jar sold on store shelves. Probably right next to pickles, which could be an entire podcast in and of itself when it comes to my hatred of those abominations. Bread and butter pickles, dill pickles. Nope, I'm going off on a tangent. They're all disgusting, and so is Miracle Whip. Okay? Miracle Whip is disgusting. It always has been, and it always will be. No one will ever change my mind on that subject. I will start a petition right now to get Miracle Whip pulled off of the shelves so that today's youth don't have to grow up with that abomination thinking, is this really as good as it gets? There's probably parents out there right now feeding their kids Miracle Whip instead of mayonnaise on sandwiches. And that is the hidden travesty that needs to be stopped right now. This is what no one's talking about. You don't see this on the news. You don't see this on the media. No one's talking about it. But Miracle Whip needs to be stopped right now. Sorry if I raised my voice a little bit there, but I just I'm really passionate about that subject because Miracle Whip is it makes me it makes me shudder. I got the heebie jeebies just thinking about it, okay? Miracle Whip is it's really, really bad. Okay? It's really, really bad. Now um at the time of this podcast it is mid-December, Thanksgiving has already passed, and Christmas is on the horizon, which means, of course, it's everyone's favorite time of year when you get those gifts that you know people are going to return, because, let's face it, there's a lot of people that are very, very, I'm not going to say difficult to shop for, but they just don't like anything that anybody buys for them. Sure, they'll put on the fake smile when they open the present up on Christmas and say thank you and give you the hug and the kiss or whatever, but... The second you're out of sight, they're going to hope that they had a gift receipt 
so they can go right back to JCPenney and return that cardigan that you knew they weren't really going to wear, but hey, it's the thought that counts, right? That's why I've done the same thing for the last five years and will continue to do it this year. The almighty gift card. Yes, that's right. I go to Stop and Shop or Big Y or any local supermarket chain that has those reloadable MasterCard or Visas. Yes, you're paying an extra five ninety-five or whatever to add the money onto it. And I put said money on the gift card and everybody wins. Here's X amount of dollars on this gift card. Literally use it wherever Visa slash MasterCard is accepted, which let's face it, at this point is anywhere in the world. Then you can get whatever you want and I'm the one who paid for it. It's me paying for your perfect gift that you get to pick out for yourself. That's what a gift card is, ladies and gentlemen. It's not that difficult of a concept. It's not lazy. It's being thoughtful. And I really don't like wrapping presents, too, so there's that. Now, I do have a niece and a nephew who will be getting physical gifts, but they are, they are a couple of states away, so Amazon, with their gift bags, will be doing that wrapping for me. There was one year where uh, I decided to get crafty when it came to wrapping my Christmas gifts back when I was still a Christmas gift physical item buyer instead of gift cards. And I said, you know what? Since I can't wrap presents to save my life, I'm going to take a little shortcut and wrap them all in aluminum foil this year. Yeah, that was quite a hit. And I said that whoever was receiving the gift wrapped in aluminum foil was actually getting two gifts because that same aluminum foil could then be used to cover a jar or, 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 or bake something on. So I was really giving everybody two gifts to everybody else's one gift per package. So let's look at it that way. But yeah, when it comes to Christmas, just keep it simple, right? I mean, the main goal of Christmas is supposed to be family time and hanging out with those you love and maybe don't see but once or twice a year. So don't don't stress over the gifts. Do what I do. Get them a prepaid gift card and then they get whatever they want. And everybody's happy. Because, yes, thermal socks are nice, but you don't need eight pairs. And if you do, just buy them with a gift card. Everybody wins. Make Christmas simple. That's my motto. Now, after Christmas, we've got New Year's, which, uh, I'm going to be honest with you, I never got the appeal of New Year's when it comes to Let's have a party. Let's have a celebration. Probably because I'm not a drinker at all. I don't drink whatsoever. I'm pretty much a homebody and not a partier. So that's probably why New Year's always passed me by. Or I was like, yeah, okay. It's, it's a new year on the calendar at midnight. But I don't need to stay up all night celebrating it. Especially since I'm already up past midnight every day as it is. So what's the big deal? Sure, when you were kid and your parents let you let you stay up past midnight was a big deal but of course you were passed out by 1202 anyway because you're a little kid and you're not usually up that late but new year's is another holiday that for me personally eh i'll take the holiday pay from work sure but there's no party i'm going to rush to on new year's eve because you'll find me at home playing video games or 
watching Netflix or watching Disney Plus or something like that. Speaking of Disney Plus, that's a nice segue. The Mandalorian series is one of the best things I have watched in quite some time. Especially when it comes to the Star Wars universe. Especially after all of the backlash that the past episode of Star Wars, Episode 8, received. Now, I was... I thought Episode 8 was okay. You know? Could be better, could be worse. I wasn't ready to to hang these people by their feet and with torches and pitchforks. I could understand the hate from it, but some people just had straight-up vitriol towards Episode 8. It wasn't that bad. It definitely could have been a lot better. You know, I wanted a much better ending to Luke Skywalker than what we got, sure. But I still appreciated the movie for what it was. And we've got Episode 9 coming in uh, less than a week now. Six days. And I will be seeing it on the 21st, very early in the morning. But I've got a movie theater, not even kidding, 100 yards from my place. So it's not that far of a journey for me. I could walk there, but I'm still going to drive because... It's the middle of winter. But yeah, the Mandalorian series, set in the Star Wars universe, covers what a lot of people on the outside looking in thinks is probably a Boba Fett clone. But this is someone that actually... Let's let's just say Boba Fett wore what the Mandalorian wears, but didn't follow anything else that the Mandalorian follows. I don't want to give away too much, but the Mandalorian series, if you have Disney+, Plus or are thinking about getting Disney+, Plus and you're into Star Wars, or trying to get into Star Wars, The Mandalorian is a must-watch. 100%. And, those guys at Disney Plus are teasing us, because with series on Netflix or Amazon, usually when you get a new series, the whole series comes out at once. So you can watch the whole, the whole season, I should say. So season one of a series comes out, you can watch it all in one day, or you can... Use self-control and stagger it day by day. Like, when things like Stranger Things come out, I watch it all in one day, and then I gotta wait another year for the next thing to come out. Well, The Mandalorian, just like network television, is being released one episode at a time. Sure, all the episodes have been filmed already, but you have to wait until every Friday for the next episode to come out. And let's face it, it keeps you hooked. Maybe somebody that was gonna get Disney Plus just to binge The Mandalorian and then cancel the subscription now actually has to stick with it because... Mandalorian is so good, it it's going to hold you for another week until the next episode comes out. So, yeah. Kudos to Disney Plus for keeping everybody on the hook and releasing this thing one episode at a time because I can tell you right now, after watching the first episode when it first came out, I would have binged it all in one day too. So Disney knew what they were doing. Speaking of Disney Plus staying on Disney Plus, Disney Plus also brings back a lot of the Disney Channel original movies from way back in the day. I'm talking... Okay, well, way back in the day for me is 20-plus years ago. So we're talking 96, 97. Which includes my favorite Disney movie of all time when it comes to the Disney movies that were released released on the original channel called Brink. It's a movie about rollerblading, which really always took a backseat to both BMX bikes and skateboarding in the mainstream. You know, you see people on skateboards like Tony Hawk and doing the 900 and half pipes and grinds and all that stuff, but people can do that on, on rollerblades too. 
you know? But Brank actually shed some light on it, and it was a nice coming-of-age story about a kid who loves to roller splayed, skate, whatever you want to call it, and his family's hit with some financial trouble, and he wants to help them out by becoming a sponsored skater, and his dad's against it, and he does it anyway, and it's just, it's a really nice, fun, clean movie. Anybody can watch it. And also, as a side note, the actor who played the original Black Power Ranger in the first Power Rangers series is in this movie, and he has the worst hairline I have ever seen for a man in a movie that's purposely supposed to look that way. I don't know if it got past editing. I don't know if it was a joke that everybody was playing on him or he was in on it, but if you watch that movie and look at his hairline in that movie, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. It is absolutely horrible. And that's all I'm going to say about that. But yeah, Brink, if you haven't watched it and you're going to watch any of the Disney Channel original movies, you have to start with Brink to see how high the bar can be set. Then you can watch other great ones like Johnny Tsunami. Um, and then it pretty much drops off after that. No, I'm kidding. There's a bunch of other good ones, but Brink is definitely my number one recommendation that you can watch right now on Disney+. Plus. Sticking once again with Disney+, Plus into the movie realm, another one of my all-time favorite movies I can now watch whenever I want, and that is from 1993, called The Sandlot. Now, if you've never heard of The Sandlot before, A, hopefully you don't know me, because you know how much I love The Sandlot, so if I know you and you don't know The Sandlot at all, then you've been hiding something from me. But, uh, it's set in the 1960s, I believe, Kid moves into town, doesn't have any friends, trying to make friends, follows a bunch of kids who uh, play baseball pretty much day and night outside of having to go to school, and he can't catch, and he can't throw. So the ball gets hit to him, he doesn't catch it, he picks up the ball up, he can't throw it, everybody's laughing at him except for their ringleader, Benny, who befriends him and teaches him how to catch, teaches him how to throw, he becomes friends with everybody on the team, they all accept him, and then uh, it's just a nice coming-of-age baseball-centric story that involves Babe Ruth references, and, and James Earl Jones is in it, and a, and a super-imagined dog that's not nearly as vicious as the kids think he is, and a treehouse, and vacuums exploding, and I'm getting all over the place with this, but The Sandlot is one of my all-time favorite movies because um, you can watch it over and over again. At least I can, and never get tired of it. You're Killing Me Smalls is still a pop culture reference to this day, although some people still don't get what that's from. It's from The Sandlot. Hamilton Porter is one of my all-time favorite movie characters because I identify with him so much as the comic relief in the group of friends because that's always what I either did or tried to do just to, I don't know, break up the awkward silences you'd have sometimes if you're hanging out with all your friends as a group and nobody has anything to talk about, then... Say something funny or say something that's going to make people laugh. So I'm right there with you, Ham. I'm right there with you. But yes, The Sandlot, from a movie perspective, has a little bit of everything. It has action. It has comedy. It has drama. You know? It's got coming-of-age angst. And then I'm just 
trying to think of a bunch of other vocabulary words, but I don't have to recommend The Sandlot to you. You should already know how great The Sandlot is, and if you haven't watched it, please watch it. If you have never seen The Sandlot in your life, don't think you're too old for it. Don't think it's passed you by. It is timeless. You can watch it with anyone, whenever. And as a matter of fact, if you haven't watched The Sandlot and you have the opportunity to, watch it before you talk to me next, because if I find out you haven't watched it, I'm just going to keep telling you to watch it before we can talk again. That's how great of a movie I believe The Sandlot is. And there's not a person I've met in my life that's been like, oh, Sandlot? Oh, I hate that movie. It just It's not a statement you can make. There's nothing to hate about it. Maybe it's not going to be your favorite, but it's not going to be one you're going to hate. It's not going to be one that if you watch it in the theaters, you're going to get up and say this is horrible and walk out. That's reserved for movies like Cloverfield. Yes, I said Cloverfield. I don't know if there... I don't... Sorry, I can't talk. I don't know if there are any Cloverfield fans listening to this podcast right now, but Cloverfield, the original one, was the closest I ever came to getting up and walking out of a movie theater. Now, let me reiterate, it's not because of the movie itself as far as the storyline or the characters or the acting or the plot or anything like that. I had no problem with that. It was the stupid decision I understand why they did it, but they still... The whole movie is basically found footage from one of the actors in the movie, one of the one of the characters recording everything on his own home video, if you will. So the camera shakes a lot, probably to show how nervous this person is while the whole timeline of events is happening in this movie. camera just keeps shaking, probably because he's nervous. Well, I'm not an epileptic or someone who has seizures or is even photosensitive to movement or shaking, but the the camera shaking annoyed the absolute heck out of me the whole time. I couldn't concentrate on anything outside of the camera shaking. Like, can't you steady this for a couple of minutes? I get that he's scared or whatever, but in a movie sense, just show me a steady shot of one scene, please. No, it just kept shaking, and I'm like, I can't. I can't deal with this. But I had gone to see it with other people. I'm like, nope, I'm just going to power through it and look past the fact that this is shaking the entire time. And yeah, from a movie standpoint, I was fine with it. But when that thing was over, I could not get out of there fast enough. And I told everybody I was with, I'm like, I almost got up and left like five times. Because that was, a, I think, a horrible choice to have that camera shaking the entire time. I get it. He was nervous. He was scared. But let's let's tone it down just a little bit, all right? Maybe someone would have sort of given him something to calm his nerves or stop the shaking if he was that violently shaking all the time. But that's the closest I ever came to walking out of a movie. So that's the exact opposite of The Sandlot, which is a movie I would stay in a theater and demand an encore after it was over until they played it again. So we're talking about opposite ends of the spectrum there. Sandlot, great. Cloverfield, not so much. Let's see, what else can I talk about here for the next about 10 minutes or so before I hit my quota I've set for myself of trying to keep this around 30 minutes. We've talked about The Sandlot, we've talked about The Mandalorian, we've talked about some other stuff. Oh, Miracle Whip and how that's terrible, sure. Let's talk about... uh, Let's dabble into a little bit 
because once again, I don't know who's going to be listening to this a little bit in the world of professional wrestling. Now, if you know me at all, like if you even know me in passing, you know that I'm one of the biggest professional wrestling fans on the planet. I have been since as far back as I can remember. And yes, professional wrestling definitely does have a niche audience. I mean, there's a lot of people like, oh, I remember Hulk Hogan and 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 Chief J Strongbow and 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 all the all the old guys back then, the the the, the Ric Flairs and the and the Wahoo McDaniels. You know, that's that's back when back when it was good, and it's not good since then. Like, okay, that's. I mean, once again, this is all subjective, but let, let's pump the brakes here from an in-ring standpoint from what the talent can do in the ring right now compared to 20-25 years ago just purely on moves and things I've seen wrestlers do it blows everything out of the water from 25 plus years ago now in ring storytelling completely completely different subject but as far as what their actual superstars can do don't ever tell me that a body slam is going to be more impressive than a 630 splash it's just not going to happen okay our vertical suplex was an awe-inspiring move way back in the day, but now it's just a means to get from one spot to the next. Sorry, I just dropped my phone there. I don't know if there was an audio spike. But um, when it comes to the world of professional wrestling, I'm, I'm a huge fan. Let's just keep it at that. So we've got an interesting time in professional wrestling right now where... You've got the WWE, obviously. It's been the juggernaut, the number one American-based wrestling promotion for basically forever. And other companies have come in and tried to usurp or take away viewership or provide an alternative to wrestling fans such as, I mean, you had TNA back in 2002, Total Nonstop Action Wrestling, which is now Impact, still hanging on. There's Ring of Honor. There's uh, There was WCW, who actually, you know, beat WWE in the ratings for, I think it was 82 straight weeks. And, you know, WWE was, was falling on some hard times for a little bit there while Hogan and Savage and everybody left to go to WCW to help form the NWO. And, you know, they had their foot on the gas, but they weren't looking towards the future and eventually burned themselves out. And so for a very long time... WWE has been the unequivocal number one show in North America. But now, we've got a legit viable alternative to WWE called All Elite Wrestling, or AEW. Now, AEW is on TNT, which is where WCW used to be, Turner Network Television. It is on Wednesday nights, from 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. And its inaugural champion is Chris Jericho, a man who has literally done it all everywhere in the wrestling world. ECW, WCW, New Japan, WWE, and now AEW. Chris Jericho has been able to reinvent himself more than any other wrestler I have ever seen in my entire life. It is crucial as a professional wrestler, if you're going to have longevity, to keep your finger on the pulse of what's going on out there in pop culture in the world, at least to some degree. Because the second you get stale, 
the audience is going to tell you before you even realize it. So you need to have your finger on the pulse and keep reinventing yourself. And that is what Chris Jericho has done. Right now, I believe he's 48, 49, and he is just as viable as professional wrestling in all, as a professional wrestler in all facets of his game as he was 20 years ago when he was doing moonsaults and hurricane runs off the top rope. Yes, he's much more ground-based in his style now. Obviously, he's he's older. He's probably got more injuries, but his in-ring storytelling is just as good, if not better, than before because the man just gets better with age. He had five individual catchphrases a couple of years ago when he was still in WWE that all got over, which, if you're not a wrestling fan, you know, it's something that gets popular to the point where... The wrestling fans are going to say it before you say it, or they're going to buy t-shirts that have that quote on it because it's popular now. That's what getting over is, getting popular, getting, getting, you know, ingratiated with the fans. He once had five individual catchphrases, things that he said, all get over at the same time, which all became merchandise or or t-shirts or whatever, which it's, it's insane to have five things over that you say. Five little things that you're just saying in normal day-to-day wrestling lingo all get over the same time and he did that he got a scarf over he got the word it over he got a list over he got clicking a pen over he got the phrase you just made the list over to the point where fans would be screaming if he said any of these things in any arena across the country okay this man just gets it he just gets it so he is the inaugural champion for AEW which is you know, in a wrestling company terms, still in its infancy. They just started their first actual show, their weekly show, back in October, the first week of October. So they've had two solid months in from 8 to 10 on Wednesday nights. And WWE, which has Raw on Monday nights, SmackDown, which just got bought by Fox, so SmackDown's now on Friday nights. And WWE has a third brand called NXT, which is like, you know, if you're a sports fan, it's like almost like a farm system for baseball or or minor leagues, but minor leagues is the wrong way to put it because NXT is just as viable as a brand as Raw or SmackDown. So much so that, ironically enough, WWE, who claimed that they had no concern about AEW, weren't worried about AEW at all, took their NXT brand, which normally could only be seen on the WWE Network, which is a paid $9.99 a month subscription, which, if you're a wrestling aficionado like me, is just beyond kid-in-the-candy-store feeling. But um, normally you could only watch NXT on the WWE Network. And now all of a sudden, WWE announced, hey, we decided we're going to bring NXT up to cable television on the USA Network, which is where Raw is, on Wednesday nights from 8 to 10. Oh, wow. Really? So you're not worried about AEW, yet you've just brought up your third brand to cable television on USA the same time and the same day as AEW. That's what they mean when they say actions speak louder than words. We're not worried about AEW, but we're going to put up NXT directly against AEW on the same night, so people have to flip through the channels. Well, I'll tell you what. NXT is the best thing WWE has going. It's been the best thing WWE has had going for probably the last solid three or four years. Every one of NXT's big shows knock it out of the park. Every time. So I'm beyond over the moon for them that they are on national television for 
the casual wrestling fan to be able to tune in, tune in and see them. But as long as AEW is on Wednesday nights, there's only one show I'm going to be watching live every Wednesday, and that's AEW. I'm going to DVR NXT and watch it the next day, but my live uninvited, undivided attention goes to AEW because they are firing on all cylinders right now. And yeah, maybe it's the shiny new toy phase, the honeymoon phase, but AEW is just, it's fresh, it's new, it's a breath of fresh air, it's got established talent and a bunch of up-and-comers coming together, so you're seeing familiar faces like Chris Jericho or Cody Rhodes or Kenny Omega, you're hearing the most familiar voice in wrestling history when it comes to Jim Ross, because he's not with WWE anymore, he's with AEW, so you've got that established base Bunch of bunch of plus a bunch of new guys coming in and guys and girls, you know, male and female, though the women are knocking out of the park too. And this is just a great time to be a wrestling fan because someone like AEW, something like AEW comes along, and now WWE has to raise their game, and AEW is going to raise their game to keep matching it. And you, as the fan, become the benefactor because it's the competition that creates the best television. You got some of the best television in WCW and WWE back in the day because they were both trying to eliminate the other one. They were both trying to take each other out. So they did anything they could to keep your viewership, to keep you watching them instead of flipping channels. So you as the consumer, you're the one who wins. And we're getting back into an era like that again with NXT versus AEW. And the real winner is the fans because... They're both trying to knock each other out and producing great television as a result. But for the foreseeable future, as big of a wrestling fan as I am, as big of a WWE fan as I am, AEW is going to have my complete, undivided live attention every Wednesday night. I have already hit my 30 minutes. That was quick. This was just the inaugural episode. Well, as I said earlier, technically episode number two of Jerome's Gibberish. If you stuck with me for this whole time, thank you very much. I did go off on a tangent about wrestling there, but that's going to happen from time to time because I am such a passionate fan. If you've listened to this from start to finish, thank you very much. I'm going to aim to do at least one of these a week, maybe more, and we'll be promoting it on every form of social media that I can to get it out there. But thank you for sticking with me for this episode of Jerome's Gibberish. I promise I will do these much more often than every two years, and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day.